Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I hope you were listening to the lyrics of that song because it's exactly what we're talking about today. We're talking about participating in God's mission by sharing the gospel with those in our community and around the world. So over these past five weeks, we've been walking through our next steps, and we've covered valuing God's word, enjoying God's presence, growing with God's people, loving God, and investing in God's work. And as I was preparing for today, uh, the message, it struck me that these are sequential. The past weeks have given us our foundation of our walks with Christ. They've given us the tools to be connected with Jesus. And today, the value we're going to discuss is participating in God's mission by sharing the gospel with those in our community and around the world. So before we go jump into that, let me start with this. I just want to promote one thing very specifically this morning. As you leave today, there are tables and TVs in the back here, and we would love for you to go back there and meet and learn about our global and our local partners. Um, as we discuss participating in God's mission we wanted to ensure you understood everything that we work with and all the different missions and local partners that we uh, engage with on a regular basis that share the gospel in our community and to the nation. So this morning we have representatives from Capital Commission, which is a ministry to the State House, uh, FCA, Marriage Resource Education Center, Regeneration, Little Love, Loaves and Fishes, Veterans, uh, the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry, uh, Blessings Wagon, Mary's House. All of these people are here, and we want you to go find out more about them and meet them. This is what we do as a congregation. 11% of the dollars that come into this door go out to these mission fields. Okay, so it's important that you get to know who we support as a congregation. Uh, they are amazing people, and they have amazing missions, and they're sharing the gospel in our community and to the nation. So make sure as you leave today, you stop by. All right, so this morning, uh, the sermon is based on the fact and the assumption that for the first five core values that we're walking through, you've discussed that you're taking your next steps towards Jesus in each of these areas. You're trying in your life to be in the word, to pray, to live in his spirit, to grow with God's people, to invest in his work. Because today we're going to talk about evangelism. We are going to discuss one of the points our culmination of living in the Spirit, evangelism, missions, being on mission. Honestly, in today's culture, it's a crazy and scary topic. Today, really anybody can be offended by anything, right? And on top of that, saying things that don't align with other people's views can be perceived as aggressive and unwanted. And the common way people handle that today is if you don't agree with them, it's just to walk away from them. That's just the reality. We've lost or we're losing the ability to have healthy conversations that are in a relevant and safe way. And to take it a step further, if we don't agree, it's a whole lot easier to hang out with the people who do agree with us and honestly just alienate the ones who don't. I bet each of you 
have had an encounter, or many, or if you're like me, hundreds, it feels like, over the last couple years when it comes to things like the pandemic, or masks, or vaccines, or who we trust, or who we don't trust, or what this person thinks, or whatever, and everyone's trying to get our opinion to align with theirs. And truth be told, sometimes it's just easier to hang out and be with the people who think and talk like you. Why am I bringing this up? I really don't want to talk about the pandemic. Let me just be clear. I don't want to talk about it at all. But we have got to understand the cultural groundwork that we live in and why evangelism specifically right now seems to be such an overwhelming thought for many of us today. All right, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump into Psalm 96. Let me get a few details out of the way. First, the substance of this chapter is also seen in 1 Chronicles 16. We believe that the author is David because of its placement in 1 Chronicles. We know that much of this was used to thank the Lord when the ark was brought to Zion by David. All right, verses 1 through 3 really start out as a call to worship. Listen. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Basically stated, you should worship God. Jeremy talks about us singing all the time, right? We're commanded to or we're compelled to sing throughout Scripture. I love the phrase used in this psalm, sing a new song. It struck me as difficult. How do you sing a new song to God? Is that possible? Hasn't he heard it all? I think it more has to do with us and the context with us specifically than it does with God. God is reminding us to sing a new song within the culture, within our circumstances. God knows what the world is saying loud and clear, and he's saying, sing a different tune. The world is doom and gloom and no hope and fear-based and defeated and evil and sin is reigning, but the song of the saints should be one of joy and hope and vulnerability and humility and God's greatness and on and on and on. What's crazy about that phrase is that these words were somewhat on the crazy side or they may have felt very untrue to those who were saying them. Think of the times and the people for those that this, this verses were written to and for. Their journey started in Egypt as slaves. And then they were set free. They ended up fighting and toiling with other nations like Goliath and the Philistines or the Edom, Edomites and Ammonites and Moabites. And then after all that, they were destroyed and exiled. Even in the days of David... Their kingdom was tiny in comparison to those around them. They were singing and saying words that seemed hard to believe in their current state. But that's just it. They were shouting what they believed to be truth, what they knew to be true and would occur in the future, not necessarily in their current situation. 
I think that's partially why the phrase, a new song, is used. These claims were not necessarily happening in front of them in that very second. They could have been hard to believe, but they knew this was a new song, a reality that would occur. And their song is new to many, many people in their dying age. And let's be real. Today, nothing has changed on that front, right? Many around us are completely lost. In fact, I would venture to say, possibly, people in here may be completely lost. Coming to church is cultural in Carroll County. It's what you've done. It makes you feel good. You get to punch your Jesus card for the week. You get your Jesus fix. That's not the new song David was speaking of. He's speaking of hope and joy, conclusion to our troubles, our battles, the reign of his kingdom forever. Next, verses 4 to 6, they really answer the call to worship. Why should we worship this God you're calling us to? Well, listen. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Words like feared above all gods. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor, majesty, strength, glory. Notice in verse 3, he says, declare his glory among the nations. The definition of declare is to make known formally, officially, explicitly, to state emphatically. This is not a casual, oh, by the way, statement. No, this is using force, loudly, publicly, boldly saying something. The word in Hebrew is seperu, and it means to recount, from a word that means literally to count mathematically, to report the facts, not the thoughts, not the emotions, the facts. Keep that in mind as we walk through the rest of this journey today. Verses 7 through 9, talk and declare God's glory and strength. Let's talk through this for a moment. When we discuss God's glory, I don't think we have an accurate picture or understanding of that. Have you ever been in a situation where you're left speechless? Maybe you saw a beautiful sunset. Um, Maybe you won an award that you didn't even know you were up for. Maybe it was in the birth of a child. Maybe it's um, when you found out you were pregnant and you didn't even know that that was possible. Or maybe it's when you received an unexpected gift. For me, I talk too much. So uh, honestly, it takes a whole lot to make me speechless. In fact, my go-to is to not shut up. So if I'm speechless, it really means something. I'll never forget three different times in my life that I've been speechless. There's probably more than that, but these are the three that stood out. Number one, when my wife was walking down the aisle towards me on my wedding day. (laughs) Number two, she's going to make me cry. Number two, when my first child was born. Honestly, you stand in that room, you can't prepare for that moment. Like, let's be honest, I don't even know what was going on medically. (laughs) 
let alone what was going on emotionally, spiritually, everything else, the fact that you see something coming into life and you already love it so much, speechless. Third, for me, in my former career, I used to uh, work in the space industry and I did communications. And many times I would do communications with astronauts um, for space shuttle launches. And the first time I experienced the power of a space shuttle launch, I was left speechless. Let me try to explain the situation. Uh, the media and, and the people who do communications are the closest you can be to the space shuttle launch. Yet, we're still three miles away. We're standing on top of the roofs of CNN and MSNBC, and we're guiding astronauts as they're being interviewed by these networks while the space shuttle's getting ready to launch. Okay, so there you are, and you see the blip and the first part of smoke. And the next thing that happens, which most people don't know, is that if you're standing on that roof and you're three miles away, three miles away, my suit coat started to wave in the wind. I don't mean like a little flutter. I mean like wave from the shock waves. What's crazy is at that point, you still haven't heard it because the shock waves travel faster than the sound waves do. So then your suit coat is waving and then the sound comes and if you're not speechless, you already are because it's too loud and you can't say anything anyways. I was completely dumbfounded by that situation. Those moments take your breath away. You stand in awe of the situation. Your brain needs time to comprehend what's going on. It's like playing catch-up. Now take those moments in your mind and multiply them times infinity, and you may experience what a few people in the Bible experienced. Think of Moses and the burning bush. Think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's unbelievable, magnificent, mighty, powerful. That's the greatness of our God, the glory of God. I can't do it justice with words. God's greatness has no end. That should blow your mind. It has no ends. Zero. We're not even able to fully comprehend it. Isaiah and Moses are just two examples. Can I tell you what's common, what the common outcome is uh, in those experiences? First, they were changed by and in that moment. Second, God's glory overtook them. It left them speechless. All of the pride, arrogance, life went out the window and they're left in awe of God and his greatness. 
they saw, you will see how wonderful, majestic, and holy God is and how sinful and unworthy we are. There is no room for boasting of any kind in a moment like that. Moses and Isaiah saw his glory and it changed them. Today, if you've surrendered to Christ, that same God who displayed his glory now lives in you. God's presence is in you. We try and we should strive to know, learn, and fathom his greatness. But know that this side of heaven, you'll never achieve the full understanding and the vastness of God's greatness. All right. We've spent nine verses on a call to worship, on why we should worship, and on proclaiming the greatness of God. And here's what we do with this knowledge. Here's what we're asked to consider. Here is what we've been given as a command. Verse 10, listen carefully. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. This verse is a natural response to what we've just declared, what we know officially, what we state emphatically. Back in the day, those words probably didn't feel realistic within their circumstance. I mean, they were not sure the Lord reigned in that moment. They believed it to be true. Just like today, you're looking around at this world and going, whoa, this is crazy and so devastating on so many fronts. But the Lord reigns. We believe that he does. We believe his words to be true. We declare them to the nations. So we have to start here. I got to be honest, I struggled with this portion of the message this week. I was telling uh, my good friend Jen specifically about this because I didn't really want to say this, but I'm I got to say it. You cannot declare something to the nations if you don't believe it first. Declaring starts by believing it yourself. You can't speak emphatically on anything without first truly believing it yourself. Think of that last time your spidey senses came out. That's what I call them. At some point in our lives, someone has tried to sell us something, and honestly, we knew it was a total joke, right? I mean, we all have that thought in our mind of kind of like this sleazy car salesman in our minds, right? They'll say anything to get the car to be sold, right? Anything. We know it's not true, and we can really see it in the reality of the other person. Things like, let me make you a deal. Or, this car has everything you've ever wanted. Really? No payment and a million dollars in the trunk? I don't know about that. You'll never beat this price. And the classic, which we've all heard, let me go talk to my manager about that. And they go in the back and have some coffee. But anyways, when something's off, we as humans many times, not all times, but many times, can sense it. But when it's true in our lives, when it's believed and it's lived in our hearts, then it's infectious. 
you can't help but experience it in that person. And truth be told, if you're a believer, they're not sensing you at that moment. They're sensing the Holy Spirit. Yes, they sense it, that it's real to you as a human, but ultimately, they're given a glimpse of something you can't manufacture. The Lord reigns. I know this to be true. Does it feel like he reigns in all circumstances right this very second with this crazy pandemic and sin being called good and division and on and on and on? No. But I know Jesus reigns is 100% a true statement and the Spirit of God within me declares it. I sure hope I don't get in the way of other people seeing that. Can you say with confidence that the Lord reigns this morning? Can you declare to the nations that God reigns and it be an authentic representation of the life that you're living? Even in this place where we come together, I don't talk about the building, I mean the people, the, the, the body of Christ, the church. I want to be clear. Many people can come to church. They can punch their Jesus card. They can get their feel-good message and some encouragement, uh, get a couple hugs, get some of their needs met. But can you declare, does your life say, the Lord reigns? It's a question we all have to ask. And now, in the final verses of the chapter, the psalmist now turns to creation, praising God. Listen. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Okay, well, that's kind of a weird way to close this passage, right? A call to worship, declare to the nations, worship his greatness, and then he lands with creation worshiping. It's an accurate picture or reflection of evangelism. Creation worships. The fields, the seas, the forest declare his greatness. I mean, God created all of these things. Imagine the strength of a storm. The vastness of the sea. Imagine the beautiful sunsets and the visuals that God's created. They worship him. Our family experienced that this summer when we hiked up a river in a canyon and saw waterfalls and just God's beauty in every direction. Naturally, they then declare, witness and evangelize about the Creator. The forest says nothing. Yet you're taken back by the beauty, the scientific nature, the complexity, the grandeur of the forest ecosystem. Or for me, a waterfall's power and beauty is intense. It takes me back Every time. It declares God's greatness. And yet, it says nothing verbally. Finally, the last verse calls us to wait on God. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. We've worshipped. We've witnessed, we've declared his glory in speech and with our lives, and now we must wait on God. Oh, wait, here we go again. 
I talked about that when I came back from sabbatical. Remember, we, we talked about that. We expectantly wait on what we know is true. Waiting means to wait actively with anticipation, hopefully watching for God to act. It's an active wait. Waiting means to be content, patient, present, expectant, and hopeful. The evil of this world will be defeated. The Lord will reign forever. He is faithful. The Lord will win. We wait expectantly for his return. And what's amazing about ending the psalm here is this one fact. The time is short for every single one of us in this room. And everyone is waiting for the same moment in time, whether they know it or not. We worship, we witness, and we wait for him. So this morning, we're talking about participating in God's mission. So let's debunk some of the myths about evangelism and participating in God's mission. Witnessing is not being the used car salesman and convincing anyone that you are right. Your job is not to convince anyone. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So what's great about that is you don't need some perfect strategy, some perfect words, some big embellished language to convince anyone. No, that's just it. What you need is a life of worship. You need to study, experience, and create time to grow in your faith. The more understanding you have of God's greatness, coupled with your surrender to him as Lord of your life, the more natural and declarative your faith becomes. If your understanding of witnessing is the mindset that you have to do something to get that person to cross from death to life, you're off base. If you have that attitude as a witness in a legal courtroom, they call that a mistrial. Be in awe of God. Be speechless of his greatness. Understand his grandeur. And you will naturally share. You will naturally Declare the greatness of God. Your job is not to convince people. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Start with a life of worship, both in private and to the nations. Be the person that everyone knows loves the Lord. Declare his greatness. Evangelism is multifaceted. It's living a life of worship, it's speaking the same language to those who believe as to those who don't. It's using your faith in all situations. It's speaking of his greatness when the Holy Spirit prompts you. When you're caught up in worship of God's greatness, it's intentionally listening to the Holy Spirit in your life. I think this has a direct effect on us as well. If you're really walking with the Father and you're speaking about him, worshiping him in action and in speech, it adds an accountability to your life. Don't be talking about God 
over here and his greatness, and then in the next statement, turn and trash the coworker down the hallway because you didn't like what they did or they made you mad. Your actions and your words declare God's greatness. If your life and your words don't match, you're still witnessing. The problem is, it's just not to the greatness of God. Now, are we perfect? No. Do we make mistakes? All the time. Do I say that every message? Yes. But in humility, do you speak of your need of a Savior? Are you humble enough to talk about how God has and is sanctifying you? John Piper in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. He adds, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. It's a lot to comprehend right there. Piper says it so well. Authentic, real missions, evangelism, sharing the gospel, work is born out of worship. And who's called to worship? Everyone. Even creation worships. So is evangelism supposed to be a select few who go and share of his great love in a jungle in the middle of nowhere in a foreign land? No. It's for every person who believes. Every person is called to worship. And in worshiping, you declare his greatness to all the nations. Now let me also say this. As you grow in worship of Christ, you will become more and more aware of the need to intentionally share or declare Jesus. Remember, God can use any circumstance he wants to show his infinite love to an individual. It can be creation. It could be a song. It can be a circumstance. It could be your declaration of his greatness. You're not in charge of that decision, but like the psalm, you're called to worship, declare, and ultimately wait on God's righteousness and faithfulness. If you've been walking with Christ for a while, I think the trap that we can fall into today is to intentionally love those around us. But do our words with our non-believing friends, are they the same as with our believing friends? Our declaration can be seen in our lives, but we don't always take it the step farther and speak it. Remember, evangelism, sharing the gospel, has a huge range. It starts with a personal life of worship. A quote that I read and I love on this topic is simple. As a believer, worship is not a part of your life. It is your life. Any moment can be transformed to the worship of God. The Bible says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Simply put, do your actions, do your thoughts, do your words bring God enjoyment? Louis Giglio says this about worship. 
Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Do you live for his glory or for your own? So let me ask you a few questions this morning to ponder on this week. What are you doing in your life to increase your understanding of God's greatness? What areas of your life worship God? What areas don't worship him? Do you speak or declare his greatness both in word and in action? Basically, do you speak one way with believers and another way with non-believing friends? This morning, we started by talking about a new song. Let me challenge you. Honestly, I'm challenging myself in this. The world is a mess. Circumstances are intense. Evil's called good. Selfishness abounds. Comfort is king. Sin is real. Church and society many times looks the same. Pain is great. Fear is real. Tragedy surrounds us. Disasters are common. Hurting is real. Let's not focus on the current circumstances staring us down. Sing a new song. Don't be a people that constantly complain and speak of our unhappy circumstances. Instead, press into Jesus and gain knowledge and understanding that compels us to worship. Be disciples. Value his word. Enjoy his presence. Grow with God's people. Invest in his work. Love God. Because this leads our hearts to an absolute, undeniable declaration of God's greatness. It leads us to worship. Speak of the truths we know about our God in words and actions. Point to salvation and the one thing that every person in this room can relate to or has in common. The fact that we, the fact that I am a messed up, broken sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And that Savior, Jesus, came down to earth and chose to die on the cross for me, for you, on our behalf, bore our sin and our shame, defeated death, and then conquered the grave. And if we, if you, if I believe, we too can enjoy him for eternity and today. I pray today and this coming week that you would evaluate what compels you to worship and then ultimately what compels you to participate in God's mission by sharing the gospel with those in our community and around the world. Like I said at the beginning, we have global and local partners here with us today. They're going to be in the back. They are declaring his greatness. They're declaring that the Lord reigns. Is that only their job? No, it's your job. It's our job. It's my job. Let's join with them and worship so they all may know and see his greatness. So today, 
sing the new song. The song of life. The song of hope. The song of his greatness. Sing the new song of his love. His freedom. His power. His forgiveness. His promises. His might. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, Uniontown. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Let's pray. Lord, I would be a fool to stand here this morning and to think that everybody in this room knows and understands you and has given their life to you. So, Lord, if there's people in here who just aren't tracking with what we're talking about, Lord, would you use this time to draw them to you? Would you have them ask questions? Would you have them talk with us, me, anybody, about what's going on in their heart and their spirit? And, Lord, for the rest of us who are walking this journey, you're asking us to lead a life of worship. to declare your greatness. Lord, I ask that we would dive into you, that we would fall more and more love in love with you, that we would read your word and pray and connect with the Holy Spirit, God, so that we can be intentionally loving you. And then the byproduct of that is we share of his greatness. Lord, use this morning, wherever we're at, to take our next step towards you in participating in God's mission by sharing the gospel to the community around us and to the nations. It's in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.